0: And I welcome everyone to another Echo Punk Salon where we try to find the profound, the depth, the insight, the random discovery amongst an improvised conversation. We like to take a topic that is both accessible, but also uh, uh, primed for mining, as it were. And today's topic, as proposed by Jan, is about getting in touch. And he means that both in the physical, but given our conversation last week, it also involves the digital of trying to imagine what it means to get in touch with the digital. But the general premise was there's something innately human, innately animal about physical contact. And that the more we engage in physical contact, the more that whether you think of it as a bandwidth issue or a sense issue or even a cognition issue, that more seems to happen when we touch. Better things seem to happen when we touch. So that's the general premise of today's conversation. But we like to start each of our salons with a provocation where we ask one of our participants to kind of open us up or start us off with something that at the very least gets the conversation going, if not presents an argument for us to dissect or oppose or agree with. And Jeanette has uh, quite graciously volunteered to provide the provocation for today's topic. So if you're ready, Jeanette, by all means, why don't you take it away?
1: Thank you. Um, I just wanted to start by actually pulling back to that that idea of uh, that we are animals of a human variety and that our experience of the traditional five senses and the few additional ones that have made it into the fold over the years, it's probably a little different than other animals. So that is humans, we tend to be very oriented towards sight um, and maybe secondarily hearing, whereas my friend Lev here might use his nose quite a bit more than his vision. And um, touch seems to always rank somewhere near the bottom. For human beings, it's the one we don't really think about that much. Taste and smell come up when we eat or when we experience disgust, but touch sort of seems like the left out one. It it doesn't it doesn't seem to be quite as forward in terms of our sense making, um, the way we construct our our reality. And I I wanted to uh, suggest that um, through as a prelude actually to my provocation. A little experiment um, and ask everybody to just take a moment um, and visualize in your mind's eye as best you can. I realized that ability, there's a wide variance, but just as strongly as you can visualize the face of someone you love and who loves you. And in that moment, just note any emotions that brings up for you, if it does at all. And then at this moment, I want you to switch to thinking about a lot that same person touching you, whether it's a reassuring hand on the shoulder, a hug, some kind of familiar touch from that person and just really try to feel what that feels like. And I would ask you to think about the contrast between the emotional response from imagining being touched um, by making that physical connection with someone versus seeing them, um, which, at least in my experience, is quite different. Um, I, and the provocation that I would put forth at this point is that uh, sight is the sense of, of mastery, of understanding, analysis, power over our environment. Whereas touch, I would argue, is the sense of emotion of connection, of power with um, and also perhaps of the of the, uh, the the unconscious as opposed to the conscious mind, um, and so that the world that we construct for ourselves, I would argue, through touch is is quite a different world than uh, the world mediated by sight and and, and that's. Where I wanted
0: to end. And if I'm to understand you correctly, are are you sort of suggesting to, uh, again to sort of synthesize what you're saying that sight sort of leads to control versus touch engenders cooperation? Right? That what we that, see no, we
2: definitely...
0: that what we see, we sort of think about controlling, or we tend to put in the context of controlling versus touch. Is is more inherently cooperative, but but maybe I'm projecting there. Jan, you threw up your hand, so please jump in.
3: Yeah, I absolutely uh, love this, uh, Jeanette. Thank you very much. And um, coming back to also to your introduction, Jesse, um, you spoke about last week's salon, right? And uh, the digital self that we spoke about. And I do remember that that might have been something that uh, I was missing, as Merley was kind of, you know, elaborating how the digital self is an expression of us. Uh, I stumbled basically about the phrase "let's get in touch," as you know, Jesse, a few weeks ago, and was wondering, hey, why is that even such a colloquialism? Why do I say, hey, uh, Oksana, let's get in touch or let's keep in touch? Why don't I, Why don't we say, Oksana, let's keep inside? Or let's keep in sound or something, right? Why do we say let's keep in touch? And, uh, you know, if we think about how we interact with animals these days, the role that animals play in, uh, you know, the psychological place with trauma patients, you know, where touching an animal has a, you know, chemical, physical reaction that is exclusively positive. um, You know, I find this is a really, really interesting area to lean more into, uh, as potentially a counterbalance to uh, the way we interact overall and keep interacting more in the future. Right on. Lynn, you've got
0: your hand up. Jump in.
4: Um, actually, I had two thoughts uh, based on provocation. One is about the sight, and one is about the touch. In terms of, you know, this out of sight, out of mind, I travel a lot and I move countries a lot. And I find when I am out of sight, um, people don't get in touch as much. So it feels like this whole issue of being when you're present, then people remember you. And when you're not there, literally it's out of sight. But jumping to this other part about touch, it's kind of interesting. I just kind of finished a contract uh, with a company. And my on my last day, certain people came up and, and gave me a hug. Um, And certain people came up and said goodbye. And the people who actually came up and gave me a hug. You know, I've worked with them for four months. And, you know, you're very professional. But on that last day, even though I'm in Spain, there's a lot of kissing here on on cheeks, people sort of gave me kisses on the cheek or gave me a hug. And the people who did that left a really sort of deep impression. Like I felt that that one moment, I felt like, wow, we actually connected. and, you know, there was something there versus sort of people who just said goodbye. So sort of there's two observations on sort of the, those two senses.
0: And, and I think, you know, the example of the Spanish kiss on the cheeks is, is a brilliant example for us to play with. Because it made me think about the different people where I'm comfortable with hugs or I'm comfortable with cheek kisses. And part of it is cultural right? That my Southern European friends, I'm totally fine doing that. Now, Sherita has her hand up. And this is where I'll say both to Stro and Jeanette, since you guys are on mobile, all you need to do is like wave your physical hand. And I will note that and sort of throw you into the mix because I recognize how difficult the Zoom interface can be on mobile. Sharita, please jump in.
5: Um, So to this subject in terms of um sight and touch. Um, I'm involved with uh, a support group um, using Zoom. And there's probably about, I don't know, fifteen or sixteen people that show up to this support group. The group is led, so it's not totally self-help. Um, and the interesting thing is is that the people who keep their cameras on, and we have a choice, right, to do it or not. The people who keep their cameras on, week after week, are the people who talk and who express, um, this is a very, this can be a very emotional group, who express their their fears, their sorrows, and are very vulnerable. So it's the ones that you can see who really participate the others it's really variable maybe one or two will participate and the others it's really passive which is fine right you have a choice but the interesting thing for me is that it's the people with the cameras on who really participate um and in terms of touch um I'm a very physical person in many ways Um, and the people that I allow, like Jesse, to touch me are usually people that I trust and usually people who um, I can feel vulnerable with and their touch may soothe me. So I find that that's the way I operate in terms of a face-to-face. But I, I found the site thing with Zoom really interesting.
0: Now, Jan, you've got uh, Jeanette uh, uh, had her hand up earlier, so I'll throw to Jeanette and then Jan. But I also want to flag a, another topic that Lynn mentioned, which, which I think Sherita sort of invoked, and, and I want to kind of try to zero back in on, which is the, the presence, right? The idea that you have to kind of be seen to be touched. And and I like, Sherita, what you were talking about on Zoom in terms of, you know, the, the presence online. And I think about this a lot in terms of my digital presence, right, so that I can be there and be in an opportunity where someone might want to reach out to me or be in touch. And I think there's a paradox there that, that's worth teasing out further. Jeanette, and then Jan.
1: I, I actually just wanted to go there as well, because it struck me that the Thing that is missing at the moment from our digital experience, our commonplace digital experience, is haptics. That we're, we're, The technology has not yet got to the point where touch is a part of our everyday digital experience. And I do wonder how that will change things if that ever comes into to widespread use. Um, and I just additionally wanted to, on the varying cultural standards, I was going to just comment that as the child of a German father and a Colombian mother, boy, are cultural standards about appropriate touch different. And it, when I went to visit my Latin American family, as a North American, it really took me aback in terms of envelopes of personal space are much smaller. And uh, and you kiss and hug, yes, many more people, just as Lynn was saying. right. That's on. all I wanted to add.
3: Jan. I mean, off the bat, I gotta say I feel sorry for the German father here, Jeanette. Uh, you know, we can <laughs> take that, we can take that offline. That must have been really, really hard. I I can relate, um, but I also want to refer back to that little mental exercise that Jeanette took us through uh, during her during her introduction here, because I feel that uh, you know the sensation that Sharida uh, alluded to, uh, the sensation of touch is a really, really unique one, and one that is kind of running increasingly out of fashion. Uh, As Jeanette took us through that exercise, I was thinking of a great aunt of mine who I didn't particularly like. But she did this thing whenever she spoke to me or to us, she held a hand of ours. right? And just, just thinking of what that felt like when she took our hands and spoke to us, is giving me goosebumps right now as i speak and when she would then continue to talk i would feel you know this feeling at the back of my head at the back of my neck and uh, it is incredibly powerful and, and 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 magical and you know i mentioned earlier in the chat here or asked building on what Lynn said is there a hierarchy of senses because in those conversations or in those Um, engagements, interactions, I always felt that touch is the ultimate amplifier, if you want to put it this way, for a connection, right? You are with the person, you see the person, you speak with the person, but then comes the hand and holds your hand. And that is, you know, which, which, which is that really, really unique experience here. And I struggle, I struggle trying to even imagine replicating this digitally, no matter how good Black Mirror is.
6: <laughs> Murley, and then Stroh. Well, I think the idea of the hierarchy of senses is uh, really interesting, because it makes me think about how we close our eyes uh, to you know listen to something better, or potentially feel uh, with more focus on that sensation. Because I think vision is quite dominant. Uh, like, it's... Probably our main source of information and it can be overwhelming so we have to actually tune it out to fully or more fully experience those other senses and this also makes me think that there's a lot of crossover and i was thinking about sound and how sound is also in a way and can be a a physical sensation uh because it's vibrations in the air you, you know if you have a loud enough subwoofer you can feel that in your body Um, and that crossover, um, I think, you know, also makes me think of like, whether you're feeling something on the outside, like another person, or whether you're feeling something inside your body, whether it's pain or, uh, you know, a a sense of, uh, comfort when you're in contact with another person. Um, and lastly, I have been in a long distance relationship for about a year now, and I can say for sure that it's a totally different experience talking to someone over video call, uh, only seeing and hearing them as opposed to being in person. And each time I would uh, reunite with my girlfriend, it was like I was remembering what it was actually like to be with her um, in the physical form, because uh, it is so much different. And being in contact is so much different, and there's always it feels like something's missing when we are long distance again. So I and, think, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Merle. I just think that the the touch and even just being in the same physical space um, is really significant there.
0: Well, and you know, you kind of evoked the the crisis of intimacy that a lot of young people face when they spend so much of their formative years consuming pornography and then end up sort of translating those digital experiences into their first physical experiences. And obviously a lot is lost in translation and a lot of dysfunction and confusion occurs. But I do want to push back ever so slightly where you sort of said, you know, our visual senses are dominant. And while I think that's true, I would argue that's a byproduct of our culture that we have a culture that is visually dominant. And that is why our visual senses tend to be dominant. But of course, there are many blind people who live in our society and they would have a completely different experience, which is totally valid as a human being. So we've got Stro next and then Jeanette uh, raised her hand and a quick welcome to Gunarth. Glad you could make it and join us. Go ahead, Stro.
7: Yeah, um, you know, everything I've been hearing so far makes me think that uh one i think everything is physical like even our feelings are physical when you get down to it and even light is a particle when you really get down to it um so it comes down to our consciousness and our feelings of what the physical world is and there's nothing more tangible than touch um i think it's maybe where everything comes from like i i know this is maybe going really far out but it's like imagine pre-big bang we're all physically one thing and the consciousness then decides to take it all apart. Right. So it comes back to, to how do we reconnect with touch? And I just want to touch on something that, no, uh, I don't know. what yeah. that. <laughs> I want to touch on something here that Sharita touched on, which is trust. Um, and in a world where we uh, were dominated by uh, the visual uh, and everything's gone to a, screen we're actually losing trust and so the visual is now because you know how tangible touch is right that feeling of when somebody holds your hand or your hug or i again it's like i think it's the most tangible the most thing we can trust and through our world becoming disconnected physically we're losing trust which goes back to a few weeks uh ago i guess the discussion about trust uh but i think that's where we're going like sight is the new touch uh, but everything is physical. And so we are refining our senses to a point where it's the you know it's the sub like the the less physical is becoming more important to us because we're actually using trust and contact with other human beings in our physical world. Um, so I, I don't know what to make of it, but these are the feelings I'm getting from it. And I, but I think everything is physical, and I think that the reason we're losing trust, uh, maybe the same reason we're, uh, we're less physical, and then I think it's just going to be more and more, and that's why well, we're a lot more emotional about this.
0: Although you you raise another interesting paradox, which is perhaps if everything is physical, perhaps we're translating touch, and we're finding equivalents. Especially if you imagine virtual reality or augmented reality, that the sense of touch in terms of haptics right, as mentioned earlier, may need to be part of fulfilling that total experience. Now, uh, Jeanette, you're up, and then uh, Lawrence, I'm going to have you after Jeanette, only because it's the first time you've raised your hand, and Jan has already had a few opportunities. Go ahead, Jeanette.
1: I just want to hang a footnote on something Murley said. I alluded at the beginning to senses outside of the traditional Big Five, and Murley referenced one of them, the introception, the, the the ability to feel what's happening inside your body. I would add to that balance or equilibrium. And thirdly, proprioception, our felt sense of the, the world, the space immediately around us. And those, I would argue, are all versions of touch that they're they're kind of flavors of tactile perception um, and and absolutely necessary to navigating, our environment but again all kind of operate on a sort of automatic level so that we may not be fully consciously processing when we're using them but as murley says when it's not there we notice that's all i wanted to add
0: i mean that's pretty deep and you know just as it would be difficult to follow Jerry Seinfeld uh, in a comedian lineup. Lawrence, uh, you're someone I think inevitably is capable of following Jeanette when she offers something as deep as that. So you're up, let's see what you got.
8: Um, Well, I just kind of wanted to uh, bring it back a little bit to uh, trust and vulnerability. I think one of the reasons that we get such an emotional uh, reaction and impact from physical contact, uh, is because you have to be vulnerable to a certain degree with the person that you're in contact with, right? And therefore have to trust them. Uh, and so I think that you know it's it's one of the senses that requires that the most. Um, and that's I think just part of why the impact is so great and and so emotional.
3: Yeah. yawn, only so that we don't have three hairless in a row. Beautiful. Thank you very much. <clears throat> yeah, Stro, where were you last week when we spoke about mind and matter? Because you are clearly my guy here. Everything is physical, right? I absolutely love this. And um, with that statement, I want to uh, basically expand uh, the concept of touch even to the self, without uh, getting awkward or weird. Now, uh, I uh, met a really, really fascinating, interesting woman a couple of months ago who is. Jesse would probably say, uh, in the grieving industry, um, she is, uh, you know, an artist and is now also uh, launching uh, body oils and um, utensils that help you apply those to your own skin, right? And uh, you know, maybe this is just a spiel. Maybe she is creating a, a ritual that isn't even there. But her hypothesis is. That we even, uh, particularly if we are not doing great at a a certain time, need to get in touch with ourselves again, and you know, massage our arms, massage our bodies in order to feel ourselves. So, I um, you know like that idea that touch is not only a thing that is you know between people, but also. You know something that grounds oneself particularly as we continue to live you know on tinder bumble and wherever else we uh, ruminate
6: Merle. well I want to build on uh, what uh, Jeanette and Jan were saying uh, sort of about the about uh, what Jeanette was saying about the automatic uh, nature of some of these senses and about uh, thinking about the self uh, because I was thinking about how there's sort of active and passive ways of touch. Um, active being more like being in contact with a person or using a tool and more passive, like feeling the couch that I'm sitting on or the you know whatever surface it may be. And when I do work on the computer, uh, that's very abstract. It's very much in my mind, but there's still touch going on. I'm still sitting in a chair Uh, that may be somewhat ergonomic or not. I'm having to, you know, pronate my wrists to use a mouse and keyboard. And all of those things will change the experience uh, and my cognition when I'm uh, doing a a pretty mental heavy task. And so I think passive touch is taken for granted a lot of the time. Um, And maybe it's becoming more coming more to the forefront as people find they're having back problems and uh you know tendonitis or carpal tunnel syndrome you mean uh, as so, they get old as they get old thank you Molly. thank you okay hey, as a digital creator i have these problems myself yes. uh, and i think that's why ergonomics uh are sort of coming more to the forefront in so, recent years I,
0: I think that's a great insight and allow me to use that to stitch together a few threads from this salon and previous salons. And and I'll start with the concept of embodied intelligence, right? Like when we talk about AI and when we talk about sort of how we think of cognition, we really, I think all of us have keep coming back to the idea that the body is is central to understanding how intelligence works. And here we're talking about touch both in the context of trust, but also in stimulation and in, in particular cognitive stimulation. And, you know, before I became a farmer, my best ideas were in the shower. And now that I am a farmer, my best ideas come on dog walks, right? Or they come from when I'm doing my forestry work or they come when I'm, you know, moving literal poop, right, I, across the property. And, and it strikes me that the potential of AI is to allow me to work in those instances, right? I'm already doing it passively with podcasts, right? I'll select a series of podcasts on a particular subject. And when I go do my farm work, that's where my mental stimulation is coming from. And, and I'm generating tons and tons of ideas and it, it's allowing me to do that work. The next step would be you know, to have like a, a dialogue to use a chat bot to then record those thoughts and kind of uh, allow me while I'm in those physical activities, while I'm touching the dogs, while I'm sort of physically engaged, to then be able to do the same work that, to your point, Murley, I'm currently sitting on a desk to do, right? And what's interesting now is like in Google Docs, AI is allowing me to sit at my desk less because it's allowing me to finish that writing faster. But the next step would be to allow that work to be in the context of physical touch, right? To be in the context of me being in my body and leveraging the most of my embodied intelligence and then connecting to digital systems that allow me to translate that into the type of productive work that people expect. But the last piece of this right is the cultural expectation because the cultural expectation is that I sit at my desk for eight hours a day versus I'm saying, no, I'm far more productive when I'm not at a desk. So this isn't just ergonomics. This is an entirely different approach to cognitive work and an entirely different approach to how we get the most productivity as intellectuals or as knowledge workers. But how does corporate culture adapt to that, right? How do expectations of the workforce adapt to that? So instead of trying to force people back to the office for the nine to five, they instead say, yeah, go out and have a walk, and we'll make sure that chat GPT ensures that it's as productive as possible. Uh, Gunnar, yes, you have your hand up. Please jump into the conversation.
9: This is great stuff. Hello. Um, Welcome. uh, Hello from Hamburg, Germany. Um, Maybe all of us uh, idea workers uh, sitting at our desks, we are just uh, a fraction of people working. And maybe there isn't the idea of the desk with the eight hours being the place to work. Maybe there are more people who would understand uh, production facility, the place where you really work and everybody else not. Maybe we have many people just wandering around in the woods and collecting leaves and you know, analyzing them later in a laboratory. So all that is work. So um, actually that's a pretty interesting perspective on touch because you touch nature there and you'd carry it somewhere else. So I, I just wanted to comment on the idea that work is at a desk, that there might be far more ideas of working, and maybe us working in the in the digital sphere somehow we got a bit distracted and should allow more variety.
0: Uh, although to your provocation to translate it into a more universal. What we are are fighting for in in the desk based work is the freedom to choose how we work, yes, and it that's would be yes, and it would be interesting to think about both our context of the physical, but also the context of AI and whether other workers are going to have the ability to choose how it is they work, right, and and whether that achieves more productive results. Now, Jan, I'm hoping you could. Sort of bail me out here, but at the same time, I, I try to continue to stitch together these
3: threads that we keep unraveling. Yeah, I'm afraid I can't bail you out here, uh, Jesse. You dug yourself into a hole because everything that I can come up with here when we talk about touch and uh, the workspace is uh, an HR violation. And uh, uh, no, no, seriously, I mean just just think of it. Right when we talk about touch, I keep coming back to that scientific study that was conducted with basketball teams right there are teams that low five or high five each other before they take a free throw and some teams you know do that less and the teams that have the more physical contact have higher success rates in the free throw execution Now, obviously, um, that is really, really singular. Uh, Touch is good. Community, feeling, whatever you channel, it is more successful. Now, try and replicate that in the workspace. Uh, Go into a meeting or a presentation and ask your 12 co-workers to give you a hug or touch you. And, um, you know, good luck with this. So, you know, how do we we bring this together? How do we um, nurture touch and the physical? In a world that kind of avoids everything physical like it's the past
0: uh gunner has his hand up so i'll throw it to him and then jeanette i saw your hand and you'll go next go ahead
9: yes yes hello um yeah i i think this is very fascinating maybe the the threads come together again um i had a look at the email that in the invitation email and it said it's all about getting in touch with each other and if, if ever I say something like, let's get in touch, there are at least two people trying to do something. It might be love. It might be something productive. But this, whatever the touch is, it is people getting together and doing something. This can be physical, non-physical, whatever. But I found there's kind of magic in it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a focus. See somebody take it up. <laughs> Jeanette, you're up.
1: I just wanted to actually directly respond to you. You use the example of basketball, but the sport I come from rowing, uh, you're not actually in physical, direct physical contact with your crewmates, but you do need to move as one in order to be successful as a team. You have to be absolutely synchronized. This is, partly why Germans just kill it at rowing is one of my thoughts but um and that requires a kind of humility um because you can't be the one who's thinking okay well I'm in charge and you know there's a very strict kind of uh sense of um how things are going to go and everybody has to buy into that but it is I have found having coached many of these corporate team building learn to rows that is a uh, a way of using touch or a form of touch um, that just the syncing up of physical of moving together of moving as one uh, that doesn't involve intimacy of physical touch that might be an hr problem so i just i had to bring it up because jan raised that issue
0: well and and it's also worth noting that consent obviously plays a role in touch so in Jan's scenario you could come into the board meeting and say is there anyone who would like a hug rather than going and hugging everybody <laughs> uh, as i um, usually do yes yes okay. yes yeah. Gunnar and then lynn
9: Jeanette, i have a question to your example because i find it very fascinating i've never rowed with other people now <sighs> i can I see like a, a rowing boat four people and they're all like going full force the one who pulls the least does this person yeah. feel that the others are, are pulling more so he has a physical interaction <laughs> with the others although they are not connected other than the boat and the water. How is that? Yeah. How do you feel the others are pulling more or less or whatever? Do you feel you it? Do,
1: you do feel it. And that's why there has to be trust in the team. Um, if And that's why it's very poisonous when people feel that someone is not pulling their weight. I'm pretty sure that's where that expression comes from. Um, but that is part of that is part of the practice of the sport is... is um, working together as a group so that everybody is contributing as much as they can which may be there may be differences because people vary in ability and strength but the the ideal is that you're all giving what you can and um yeah it's why some people choose to only row alone i mean it's the team part of it is not for everybody because it does require a real shift in your mindset
0: uh lynn and then sharita
4: uh, just sort of adding on what Jeanette said is I remember organizing sort of team building events and one time we organized a team building event with clients on music and basically we had like 40 drums and everyone had to beat to the same sort of to the same beat and uh, you know it was the first time I've seen something like this and the clients experienced it, but it was accelerating for everyone to sort of have to be in sync you know, and no one could be louder, but everyone had to keep to this. So it was great to build the team because everyone was equal. Right. So, but then at the same time, you're touching something, you're dealing your touches in terms of having the same rhythm, but you're actually beating something. So there's something there. Yeah.
0: Right on Sharita.
4: Um,
5: in a way, I was trying to get to David. I I sent him a a direct message, but I don't know if he has chat open. But yes, in teamwork, um, I, you know, if I think about it, have a a lot of examples of how you build trust or how you build uh, good communication in terms of teams when you are a in a physical space, and B, you know, there's all these leadership things where, you know, you throw yourself back and somebody catches you and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I want to throw something else in. where We're really looking at it just from one point of view. There are a lot of people who, let's say, are very touch-sensitive, almost too sensitive, so if you put those people in that kind of teamwork situation what you're doing to them is probably abusive which would make them really you know sit back and go whoa i don't want any part of this team so although we're trying to look at it as as it's all good it's all pleasant it's you know it helps with trust if you If you really want to get deep into it, you have to look at all the different perspectives that lend themselves to this um, experience that we have. Although- I just want to throw in that, you know, it can be
1: really complicated.
0: Absolutely, And, and you sort of evoke the notion of the autism spectrum and how there are people who will have a dog, a service dog, that they are comfortable touching and being touched by rather than touching other people or other human beings because that overwhelms them or that's just disturbing. So it, it, it affirms your point that there's different needs and different abilities that determine our threshold or our desire for touch. But even in the case of someone on the autism spectrum, they're getting that touch from the dog, right? So they're still getting it from a different source, which does suggest that These senses are both personalized, but contextual, right? And we get them in different settings in different ways. Because when Jeanette did her original exercise, until you specified person, I was thinking of Harriet, one of our dogs, right? Because that's who I am most intimate with, right? For my own reasons of being uncomfortable with touch generally. But I want to bring the conversation back to something Lynn said originally around presence, right? And the idea that you kind of have to be seen to have this opportunity. And I a lot lately have been thinking about digital presence. And I say this partly because, you know, as many of you know, my, my the first half of my professional career, I was a broadcaster. So I was on the radio a lot, and that established a presence that meant that people were always reaching out to me. People were always getting in touch and were interested in what I did. And then when I stopped being a broadcaster, all of that went away. And it didn't go away overnight because there were still people who I was fresh in their mind in terms of the broadcast kind of ecosystem. But now I'm, you know, again, trying to think about how do I establish a presence in the digital networks, in the post-broadcast world, That encourages people to get in touch with me. And I used to describe my process as a kind of seductive marketing, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have the courage. I'm not enough of an extrovert to like go out there. But if I put myself out there so that people come to me, that made me comfortable. That uh, uh, facilitated the types of opportunities that I relished and that I enjoyed. So I'm now left... With the the problem, and this is partly a preview of next week's salon on digital platforms, the power and best practices, how do we establish a digital presence sufficient enough that it either fosters people wanting to get in touch, or if we were to take Murley's provocation from last week, that allows us to digitally get in touch with people. So that when you send that email, hey, do you want to catch up? or hey, do you wanna have a meeting? Or hey, do you wanna have coffee? They go, yeah, absolutely, I miss you, Jesse. I wanna get in touch with you, I wanna connect with you. Cause I think Lynn was spot on when she identified that the prerequisite for that is our presence. That if we're not present, we don't exist, and there's no reason to get in touch. So first we must be present, then we can create the opportunity to touch, the same way, Jan, your notion of walking into a physical meeting and wanting to touch people, you have to be in the meeting in the first place to be able to get that hug from Jan. So I, I kind of wonder how we wrestle with these different dynamics. And and Murli, I definitely want to h- hear from you on this, but Jan, you've raised your hand and, and I'm curious to hear from anyone else about the way in which we tie this notion of physical sensation, physical contact as being something that we all depend upon, how does it translate into our digital self if we are to accept a coherence between our physical and digital
3: selves? A unity, let's say, of those things. Jan, and then Gunnar. Yeah, I think a word that uh, resonates really, really poorly with me that you kept using here over and over again is the word of presence, right? Particularly in the context of digital platforms because presence to me, um you know just by the ring of it and that's my subjective perception feels very very static almost like a you know billboard here's a here's a picture of jesse give jesse a call the beautiful thing is that you can live your presence out a little bit that's what the digital platforms uh, allow for right through commentary um you know content some anything of substance that you post on linkedin There is more than a presence. You give people more than just, hey, this is me, Jesse. I'm on the farm. Give me a call. Right? So you substantiate that presence with a little bit more. But let me push back a little because we've all seen the spammers,
0: right? Who are there but are not offering anything that you
3: describe. And who wants to get in touch with spammers? No one. But somebody must, hence why they're successful. Well. Right? Like, this This is the conversation
0: we had a few weeks ago where the Germans were all like, quality, 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 and the North Americans were all like, no, volume, 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 right? And, and, and again, I, I wonder if we are subjectively seeing what we want to see in these issues, and, and not necessarily, you know, to your point, the desire that you're offering something. Mm-hmm. Gunnar, please, wade into this particular debate.
9: I, maybe I'm too traditional and say my presence is physical. I have a, repre- I have a representation that is digital and I can step into the, the digital sphere and get into touch with people as I do now with you. And this is still going into like getting into touch. What I think, what our world bring us is the omnipresence of, Artificial spammers, like artificial intelligence created content that creates a noise far beyond what we have experienced by the buzzword bingo of business and the spamming and trolls and troll armies and everything like that. I think we are entering a space of digital noise created by so-called intelligence, where we will get the urge to really at least have interactions with real, real humans with the other way, like somebody who is disappointed with us humans and wants to have a stroll with a dog or a chat with the artificial intelligence, totally. Okay. But I think we can't live without getting through the noise.
6: Right on. Merli. Uh, well, I think about video games and VR in specific Um, because I think for a lot of people who enjoy VR and things like VR chat or other sort of virtual spaces, um, something that's sort of always missing is that touch. And it comes back to haptics and how, you know, we're always trying to simulate that. Uh, there are, are VR like advanced systems where you're actually walking on a moving platform so that your body is interacting with the virtual world more. And I think that those things are popular when there's a limitation to how much you can be in touch with someone, and you know particularly during the pandemic um, that was very important. but it is again limited by the fact that it's very hard to simulate that kind of touch uh, in a digital or electronic um a physical feedback form um. And that's why VR is still lacking in a lot of ways. Lawrence.
8: Um, I mean, I think for me, like a big part of uh, kind of bridging the digital representation um, to touch is, is imagination. Right. So kind of like mom's activity at the beginning. Right. Imagination is powerful and imagining physical touch does still have an impact. And so uh, I think like a lot of the time through digital communication or media, you can kind of imagine what the the physical touch might be like, right? So let's say you're talking to someone on a dating website. Oh, like, I can't wait to give you a hug or a kiss, right? You're imagining that and that's how you're, you're remaining engaged. Um, or, you know, for example, um, like in in video games or stuff like that you're you know you're maybe imagining oh what would it be like to be this character and experience these things um and so i think imagination plays a big role in kind of um translating that the the stuff you're seeing to you know what what might happen and and again like with the with the spammers right like they do work on some people because, you know, maybe those people are, you know, more vulnerable and more, you know, desperate for for some sort of touch. And so they're imagining, oh, like, if this person's real, like, what would it be like to be with them or whatever? And that's, you know, that's why they fall for it. So I think that, you know, that plays a big role in, in how we interact with things online is our imagination.
0: Well, and, and imagination kind of evokes the connection between touch and emotion, yeah. right? Because if we think about, you know, Greg or Stroh's earlier point about it's all physical, then emotions are are how we feel our way through things. Hence why touch and getting in touch is, uh, is the metaphor that we tend to use. Instead of Jeanette's point, dogs might have, it's all about smell, right? I'll smell you later oh yeah, I'll smell you soon, right? Because that is for them, perhaps, the sense that really uh, ties to their emotions and ties to their experience of the world. Now, since we are running short of time, this is where I'll encourage David or Andrea or Rob, if you want to jump into the conversation, time is running out. But if not, by all means, we appreciate that you have uh, been physically here uh, and joining in. David, yes, you just raised your hand.
2: I was thinking about what Lynn said, and Lynn's experience in Spain with being kissed on the cheek by by people, and I was thinking about uh, that uh, situation with the football players, the women football players, mm. the dignitary who kissed the captain of the team, and it created such controversy that... that um, I think the dignitary had to resign from whatever he was dignating at. And it made me think that touch, in the sense of, you know, that proprioceptive touch on skin is not always a good thing. Even dogs, you know, there are some times when my dog wants me to touch him and other times when he doesn't. Um, so, and touch, I mean, you know, the the, the cop who knelt on... on uh, that a fellow's face, a neck, and sufficient to kill him. That was a touch as well. So touches, that's from that sense, is not always a a good thing. So apologies for being dystopian about touch, but I'm thinking that too. That touch, there's a, a we use touch in a the concept of touch, the word touch, the touch concept in a in a different way than we than we use other senses. So. You know, touch is is um, it may be a different logical type than the other senses. I think you know, they, they refer to general senses and special senses in physiology. I believe, and touch is a kind of a general, a general sense, as opposed to hearing and uh, smell and so on and so forth being a a special, um, a special sense. So I'm wondering if, um, as we talk, we sometimes uh, you know, um, uh, 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 don't see that um, the, the, we can use touch in different semantic ways that suggests that it's actually a different kind of concept from the concept of smell and uh, sight and, um, and, uh, and and so on. And, and, you know, it's, it's, and then it's kind of appropriate that you say um, the, the title of this is, of this salon is Getting in Touch as opposed to Getting in Smell or Getting in Sight and Getting in Hearing with You, we, it's a, because it's a different kind of concept uh, linguistically. And then I was just thinking about, you know, in terms of the v- virtual world and your conversations about the virtual world, about which I know relatively little, except for the fact that, you know, Twitter this morning made me cry and so it touched me I was touched by you know somebody that I didn't know um that I, I don't even know if I trusted them but there was something about what they said that touched me sufficient that, you know my skin got all dimply and pimpled and and tears formed in my eyes and I have to kind of choke myself back so Shrida won't say are you crying again David
0: I do. And, you know, go to the point that presence is almost inherently physical. I obviously follow you on Twitter, David, and the algorithm regularly shows me your tweets because I always favorite them. And because I know you, I always see your Twitter presence in contrast to your physical presence. And so while I think you claim ignorance of the digital, you are nonetheless engaging it on a level that is clearly quite emotional and therefore, I think, really quite profound. And it is an excellent segue to next week's Salon, uh, uh, which is going to focus on what's going on with the digital platforms. Because it almost seems like we are in uh, the end of an era when it comes to social media, uh, both with the implosion uh, or transformation, if I'm to be generous, of Twitter into X, but also the way that TikTok seems to be conquering the world and advertising dollars are now shifting um, from Facebook and YouTube to TikTok. Although never underestimate Meta, right? Meta is always inventing and their uh, uh, their open source AI options, just like a Grok, which is Twitter's competition to chat GPT. Again, lots for us to wade into But I think if anything, uh, the one thing we've taken from today is not only the, uh, uh, what am I looking for here? The luxury of in-person contact and in-person connection but the reason why we've all had our cameras on, the reason why we make an effort to try to stay in touch, to try to connect with each other. Uh, uh, Gunnar, I thank you very much for joining us uh, today for the first time so we could start to get to know you. Uh, Similarly, Rob, it was great to see you after so long. I'm envious of your beard. Um, So am I, so am I. So I hope you are able to join us again uh, soon. It's Any... a hard
3: slot, but I'm going to try to show up next week. Thank you for having me. And, and I, I was lurking guy edge of the pool, just dipping his knee you know, up to his knees in, but, uh, learning the protocols and the etiquette. Well, we'll come in next week and segue even perhaps with, you know, it's interesting that no one invoked the name of that Scottish Canadian media theorist. What was his name again? McDonald or McLennan. Yes. Uh, what you doing,
0: Mr. McLuhan.
3: <laughs> and, uh, reach out and touch someone as pertinent to, uh, uh, digital media
0: right on right on and i would also warn all of you that i've uh as we noted earlier finally got my soundboard going and even though there was no real opportunities for us to collectively laugh uh, I, I think next week i will have more sound effects loaded up so we can really uh, uh,
2: have some collective fun so thanks again to all of you and we'll see you again next week